Hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are here today. If you're new, my name's Chad, and it is Memorial Day weekend, and we're glad that you are joining us for worship. In addition to all those people who are here in person, we also have a ton of people worshiping online as well. So if you would, put your hands together. Welcome in our online family, as well as our guests. So glad to have you guys today. And of course, Memorial Day weekend is a time where we remember those who've come before us, those who fought for our freedoms, but it's also the unofficial start to summer and nothing says summer like ice cream so if you are worshiping with us today we have free bluebell ice cream for everybody and as you leave the building today yeah you can applaud for that as you leave the building today pick up your ice cream we've got tons of it we've got bars and sandwiches and all sorts of stuff ice cream sandwiches so enjoy and if you're worshiping online we don't want to leave you guys out either if you will fill out an online connection card today we will send you a coupon for some ice cream you won't get to enjoy today but you will get to be a part of ice cream Sunday. it'll just be a few days later but still fill out that online connection card we don't want to leave you guys out and we'll send you a coupon for some ice cream as well and another reason why this is the unofficial start to summer is because school is now out right I mean th this Tuesday was the last day for the Owasso public schools and I asked my son Alex he just finished the first grade I was like how was your last day and he said it was great we didn't do anything and I remember that as a kid you know in grade school especially the last day you didn't do a whole lot a lot of times you had field day or played games and stuff like that and one game that we played every field day as a kid that I loved was tug of war anybody play tug of war as a kid let me see your hands yeah just about everybody and since it is the unofficial start to summer I thought we would play a little bit of tug of war today so I've asked six of our students to come up and help me out so if you guys would come on up to the stage that's why this rope is up here if you would welcome them to the stage as they come on up here We'll get three on each side, so you guys divide up whatever you want to. Get three on each side, go ahead and grab that end of it. Well, we need three on each side. There you go. That works. Go ahead and grab one right there. Start at that little pink line. Okay, so as you size up these teams here just a little bit, I want to see who you guys think are going to win. So let me hear you really loud. If you think this side is going to win, cheer for them. Okay, if you think this side is going to win, let me hear you. All right, it's, it's about even. We'll see. I'll tell you what, why don't you two up front, why don't you go to that side and join them? You want to? Let's make it interesting here. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay, now five on one. You can move a little bit closer. Give you more of an advantage. Yeah, that's good. Now, five on one. Let me hear you now. Who do you think is going to win? This side? Okay. Or this side? Wow, muscle man over here. All right. Well, Let's see what happens. Let's have some fun. When I say go, let's play tug of war. Here we go. Go! Watch out for the TV. All right, we're done. We're done. We're done. We're done. That's good. All right. We're done. We're done. Quit. Stop. Okay, there we go. For helping me out, you guys get a QT gift card. So thanks for helping me out. Give them a round of applause for their effort. It's awesome. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Yeah. You did. No, that's fine. You didn't. As long as you didn't break the TV, I'm good, okay? No, that's awesome. Thank you, guys. We'll move this out of the way. Now, I don't know about you all, but my life sometimes feels like an unfair game of tug-of-war. You know, the more I try to do what's right, the more I try to live for Jesus, the more I feel the world tugging at me, pulling at me. You guys know this. Our world is full of pressure. 
pressure that is constantly pulling at us, constantly tugging at us, trying to get us to go in the opposite direction of Jesus. And even though we know Jesus' way of life is the best way of life, it's really the only way to live, the world, it has a strong pull at times. And we know Jesus' way of life is very different from the world's way of life. He has much different expectations for us. And there is a stark contrast between the two. I mean, our world says, promote yourself. But Jesus says, deny yourself. Our world says, defeat your enemies at all costs. But Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Our world says, pursue happiness. Jesus says, pursue holiness. Our world says, me first. But Jesus says, others first. Our world says, division, division, division. But Jesus says, be peacemakers. Our world says, complain on social media when somebody makes you mad. But Jesus says, go to your brother or your sister and make amends. Our world says, follow your feelings. Jesus says, follow me. Our world says, love is love. Jesus says, God is love. Our world says, find your own truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. And even though most of us know that the world's way of life is wrong and that Jesus' way of life is what's best, it's tempting sometimes just to want to fit in and go along with the world because that's what it seems like the majority of people are doing. And Jesus warns us about this. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus says that the majority are going to go in the opposite direction of me, but you be different. Even though there's a lot of pressure for you to conform, a lot of pressure for you to give in to society, to the culture around you, you live a different kind of life. What Jesus here is warning us is he's saying, don't get caught up in the cultural current because it's easily done. Sometimes it seems easier in the moment just to go along with the flow, but don't do that. And there's a reason why he says that. This is what I've discovered in my short time on this earth is that those who follow the crowd usually get lost in it. You lose your identity, the identity that God wants you to have. You lose sight of what's really important in life, what really matters in life. You lose the purpose that God wants you to live for. And you end up just going along with the flow. And Jesus here is saying, if you want if you want your life to end up like everyone else, then live like everyone else. But I want something better for you. God created you to live a better life than the cookie-cutter existence that so many people in our world have settled for. And let me ask you, have you ever gotten lost in the crowd? I have. I've been there. And it always leads to destruction. And I'm not the first to struggle with this, and you aren't either. 
That's why we've been studying over the past four weeks this little book that's found at the end of our New Testament known as 1 Peter. It's actually a letter that Peter, this close friend of Jesus, who was one of the early leaders of the church, wrote to some Christians who were struggling. And they were struggling because they were tempted to blend in with the culture around them, to fade into the culture around them. See, they were suffering persecution. The, the world around them was hostile to their faith. There were Christians who were literally being punished they were being tortured, being killed for their faith. And in such an environment, when the world is hostile to you, it's easy sometimes just to blend in and hide your faith, suppress your faith. And that's what's going on. They were living in a world where Christians were being marginalized and vilified. And so they started just to blend in, go along with the crowd, go with the flow. They were living what we're calling a Christian-ish kind of life. It's not that they deny that Jesus was Lord, but they didn't live out their faith all the time. They just kind of lived out their faith when it was convenient and comfortable to do so. And that's why we're defining Christianists like this. It's following Jesus when it's convenient rather than following Jesus out of conviction. And here's the thing. In our day and age, we're not experiencing the same type of persecution that these first century Christians were experiencing. But sometimes we're tempted to live a Christianist life, aren't we? Or we follow Jesus just when it's convenient, but we don't follow him as part of our daily conviction. So let me ask you, are you somebody who's just living a Christian-ish, sort of a Christian life? Are you fully, completely devoted to him? Because Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 16, and this has kind of been a theme verse for us throughout this entire series, if you suffer as a Christian, if you suffer as a follower of Jesus, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. In other words, Jesus is worth it. Yeah, you may have to suffer. Yeah, you may go through trials. Yes, the world may mock you, make fun of you, but Jesus is worth it because he offers you something that this world can't offer you. Remember what I said. If you want to end up like everybody else, then live like everybody else. But Jesus created you to live for something more. Amen. And are you living the life that he wants you to live even when it isn't popular? Again, let's go back to Jesus' words. Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many, the majority, they will enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to what? To life. And only a few will find it. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part of that few. Because I don't want this world to rob me of what God wants for me, of the life that he created me to live. And Peter didn't want that either. And that's why as we get to the end of this letter, Peter writes these words. He says, strengthen yourselves so that you will live your lives here on earth doing what God wants, not the evil things that people want to do. Go on to that next slide. In the past, you wasted too much time doing what those who don't know God like to do. Let me ask, have you been there? You ever wasted time living like everybody else, like the world lives? You ever wasted a season of your life, months of your life, maybe even years of your life? living like those who don't know God? I've been there. 
And Peter says, don't waste your time living for the things that the world pursues, that the world chases after the stuff that doesn't matter. Instead, strengthen yourselves so that you will be focused on what really matters. And I love this Greek phrase here, strengthen yourselves. It literally means arm yourselves or prepare yourselves for battle. In other words, Peter isn't sugarcoating things here. He's saying we're in a battle, we're in a spiritual war. And so before you go out and face the world, face the culture around you, you need to be aware of that and you need to be preparing yourselves now to go out and face conflict, to go out and face spiritual battles because we're living in a world where our enemy is very powerful and he is leading the world astray and it's trending in a direction that's opposite of Jesus so we need to be strengthening ourselves, preparing ourselves now to face whatever he, our enemy, puts in our path. My family loves to visit Silver Dollar City in Branson. Probably a lot of you guys do as well. And so we try to go there a few times a year. And we went a few weeks ago, had a blast, a lot of fun. But we stayed in this condo that's owned by some people in our church. And it was just down the road from Silver Dollar City, down this little country lane where there are a lot of different condos and hotels and restaurants and all that good stuff. And the first morning that we were there, we checked in late one night. And the first morning, I got up early because I wanted to run to Walmart, get some food and stuff so we could go back to our condo and, you know, make meals and whatever and so I got up early and I was supposed to get back in time for us to be like the first people in line at Silver Dollar City because that's what my wife wanted okay so I was trying to get there and back and I, and I did I was driving back on this little country lane and honestly I had no idea what the speed limit was I wasn't looking I was just focused on getting back you know to our condos so we can get on the Silver Dollar City and as I'm driving down this little road all of a sudden I see red and blue lights behind me. <laughs> and so I pull off the side of the road and this very nice officer walks up to my window and he said, sir, do you know how fast you were going? I said, yes, sir, I was going about 45. I figured that was probably the speed limit. And I said, yeah, I was going 45. And he said, uh, yeah, you were. Do you know what the speed limit is through here? I said, honestly, officer, sir, I really don't. I said, I'm not from here. I'm just vacationing here with my family. We're going to go to Silver Dollar City later on today. And I really don't know. I just thought 45 seemed about right on this road. And he said, actually, the speed limit is 25 miles per hour. You were going 20 miles over. And I said, well, yeah, I was. And I said, I'm sorry. It's probably posted and I missed it. And my bad. I'm sorry. I owned it in that moment. And then he looked at me and goes, what part of Kentucky are you from? <laughs> now, mind you, I have Oklahoma tags, you know, on my vehicles. And, but Allison, on the back of her vehicle, which is what I was driving, has this little UK sticker on the back window. And so he saw it, and he said, uh, what part of Kentucky are you from? And I said, well, we're from the Lexington area. He said, that's where my mom's from. That's where I grew up. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, us Wildcats have got to stick together. I'm not going to write you a ticket today. <laughs> I'm telling you, being a Kentucky fan comes in handy sometimes. It really does. I didn't even have to play the preacher card to get out of a ticket. You know, it was great. But then he looked at me and he said, but, he said, I'm going to be sitting on this road all day. And he said, I better not catch you speeding again because next time you will get a ticket. And you know what? Every time I got on that road, I was checking my speed every single time from that point on because I knew he was going to be there. Sure enough, I passed by him several times. Over the next couple of days that we were there, I passed by that same officer several different times and I would drive past him and just wave, going the speed limit, you know. <laughs> we were buds then, you know. The big blue nation. I mean, we're all over the place. Anyway, but why was it that I was all of a sudden now checking my speed 
every single time I'd get on that road because I knew what was ahead. And so I prepared myself for that. And when you know what's ahead, then you prepare yourself for what's ahead. And that's what Peter is doing in this letter. He's saying, listen, I'm giving you fair warning. You're going to experience suffering. You're going to experience attacks because of your faith. The world is going to press you. The world is going to pull at you. The world is going to try to bring you down. So prepare yourselves now so it won't get the best of you. That's what Peter's trying to say. And so let me ask you, are you prepared to follow Jesus even when following him isn't the popular thing to do? Because what I have experienced is that a lot of people are excited to follow Jesus but they're not necessarily prepared to follow Jesus. I mean, they want what he offers. They want his salvation. They want his love. They want his grace. They want heaven someday. They want everything that Jesus offers, but they're not necessarily prepared to live for him in the day today. And so when they start to count the cost and see what he asks of them and what's required of living out their faith, well, it takes a while for their lives to catch up with what they believe. And they end up settling for a Christian-ish kind of life. And that's what Peter says in his letter. He says in chapter 2, verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers, meaning you don't fit in here. Your home is somewhere else. You're just passing through. As aliens and strangers in the world, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Look at the language that Peter uses here. You feel like you're in a spiritual war right now? That's because you are. He's not hiding that fact. The reason why you feel like you're in a spiritual war right now is because you are. We have a very real enemy, Satan, who wants to hold the church back, who wants to stop you from living out your faith. And so that's why Peter is saying, we're in a war. Don't be shocked at that. Be prepared. And Peter goes on in his letter to tell us how we can be prepared. Look at what he says in chapter 4. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised. Don't be shocked. Don't be stunned. Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Now Paul's right there. With every insult you receive as a follower of Jesus comes a blessing. God doesn't forget what you go through as a follower of Jesus. He doesn't look past it. He knows what you're experiencing. You will be rewarded because of your faith. With every insult comes a blessing, spiritual blessing. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer... It should, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, here's that line, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. See, Peter isn't saying that following you is going to be easy or even simple. He's not saying that when you follow Jesus, everything's going to work out for you like you want it to. What he's saying is at times it's going to be tough, but Jesus is worth it. Now, there are some churches that teach, and you guys know this, there are some churches that teach that if you really live by faith, then everything will work out. That you're going to get the, 
new home and you're going to get the high paying job and you're going to get everything that you want in life that you're not going to have to experience the trials that everybody else experiences and the Bible doesn't teach that and so when people start to experience trials and they're followers of Jesus they ask a common question which maybe you've asked before I've asked it why does a good God allow bad things to happen to good people you ever heard somebody ask that question I have I've been guilty of asking it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with I don't think there's anything wrong with asking it. Don't misunderstand me. In fact, we have examples of godly men in scripture asking this very question. David asked it in the Psalms. The prophet Jeremiah asked it. Job asked this question. Godly men and women throughout history have asked this very question. I think God's okay with us asking this question, but as soon as we ask it, we need to remember where it's coming from. Because this question makes two false assumptions. And the first false assumption is this. This question falsely assumes all of us are good. And here's the thing. We're not. I hate to break it to you, but we're not. All of us have sinned. All of us have messed up. All of us have made mistakes. All of us have rebelled against God. All of us have done harm to other people at some time or another. We have all fallen short of God's glory. And if you don't believe me, believe what the Bible says. Paul writes this, for everyone, and everyone includes you, and it includes me. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. None of us are good. God is the only one who's good. And when he created this world, it was all good. We messed it up. We tainted it with sin. So I'm just going to make a little confession here. On my best day, my best day, you know what I deserve? Hell. On my best day, I deserve hell. Because I've rebelled against God. I've sinned against him. But here's the thing. Even though I deserve hell, God, out of his love, doesn't want that for me. So everything that I have, all the blessings that I receive from God, it's stuff that I don't deserve. Whether it's the physical blessings that I have in this life, the home I live in, my job that I have, even more than that, my wife and my kids, my family who I love, I don't deserve them. I don't deserve anything that I have in this life. So anything good that I have in this life is a gift from God that I don't deserve. But that's especially true when it comes to my salvation. I don't deserve to have a relationship with God. I don't deserve to be called His child. I don't deserve to have heaven waiting for me. I don't deserve any of that. And yet God, out of his love, out of his grace, has given all that to me. I'm not good enough to deserve any of that. And so that question that we just asked, why does a good God allow for bad things to happen to good people? None of us are good. But it also assumes something else. It also falsely assumes nothing good can come from the bad things we experience in life. And that's not true either. Sometimes we just focus on what's happening in the moment and we say, this is bad it can, and it can never be anything but bad. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that our God is the God who can bring life from death. So he can take a bad situation and use it for good. And maybe what you're going through right now, the trouble that you're experiencing right now, the trials that you're experiencing right now, might be because he's trying to teach you something. He's trying to prepare you for something more. He's trying to shape and mold you. Or maybe he's using you as an example of others so that to others so they can see his 
love. That's why Peter goes on to say this, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. See, God can use our suffering, our trials, the troubles that we experience in this life for a greater purpose. He can use those things to refine our faith so that we have a stronger relationship with Him, but He can also use those troubles, those trials, as a witness to the world around us of His love. I had the opportunity this week to sit in the living room of a man, a godly man, who's one of our senior saints in this church. He was an elder at one time in this church, and he's been a teacher in our church, as well as other churches in the past. And he has cancer, and his cancer is progressing, and they've called in hospice, and he's not in the best of shape right now. And when I sat in his living room, I was there with another staff member. We talked with him. The man looks sick. And he'll tell you that. In fact, at one point, he looked at me, and he said, Chad, you know you're looking at a dead man, right? Because he's just accepted that his days are numbered. And he's open and honest about that. But here's the thing, even though he said that to me, he quoted Scripture the entire time that I was there. And he did it with a smile on his face. And he just kept quoting Scripture. And it touched me. And I remember at one point I stopped and I said, can you tell me what's your favorite verse? And he thought for a minute. A minute and he said, well, that's kind of hard. And eventually he landed on this verse right here for the Gospel of John, Jesus' words, John 14, 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. He said, as I've continued to receive bad news about my health, I've gone back to this verse over and over again. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And what's cool about this man is he looked at me and he said, Chad, I don't know why God hasn't taken me yet because I'm ready to go. This man just overflowed with hope and joy that this world doesn't have a clue about. He said, Chad, I don't know why God hasn't taken me yet. And I looked at him and I said, I know why. Because he's still using you to bring encouragement to a young guy like me because I needed that. I get so caught up in this world and get focused on things I shouldn't focus on. I needed to be reminded about what truly matters. And as I sat there in his living room and talked with this man, his joy, his joy in Christ overflowed. And I needed that. You see, Jesus says, he doesn't sugarcoat anything. He says, in this world you have trouble. But then he also says, do not let your hearts be troubled. In other words, one of my favorite preachers, Kyle Adam in Louisville, he puts it like this. He says, we're not to let our trouble trouble us. Don't let your trouble trouble you. That's how we are to live. Yes, we'll have trouble. The Bible doesn't deny that. But don't let your trouble trouble you. Jesus says that when you trust in God, he will get you through whatever it is that you're facing. And that word trust in the Greek is actually a word that means weight, it means put all your weight on something. In other words, if you're carrying a heavy load right now, you're carrying a heavy weight right now, give it to God. Give it to Jesus. Trust in Him. He will carry it for you. It's the image of, let's say, an older person who has to walk with a walker. When you walk with a walker, you have to put all your weight on it to take your next step. So you put all your weight on it, then you take a step. 
And then you put all your weight on it, you take another step. You put all your weight on it, you take another step. You put all your weight on it, you take another step. And even though you have to continue to put your weight on it, it will get you where you need to go. And that's what God does for us. Yes, this world is a tough place to live, but if we continue to put all of our weight on him, turn it over to him, he will get us where we need to go. And the reason why we can keep going is because we have more life ahead of us than behind us. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you have more life ahead of you than behind you. And that's why Peter says in this letter, he says that we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. See, we don't live for what everybody else lives for. We don't pursue the things that this world chases after. We don't waste our time chasing after mirages that will never satisfy. We don't waste our lives building houses of cards that one day will come crashing down. We live for what really matters, eternally matters. And going back to that verse that we looked at just a minute ago, Peter says, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. I love that word abstain. It's another interesting Greek word. It's the Greek word apeko. And it literally means to remove yourself from, to refrain from, to cut off. It's the idea of walking away from something because you've been set free from it. See, yes, at times this life is kind of like an unfair game of tug of war. And the more we try to live for Jesus, the more the world is pulling at us, tugging at us. But what Peter here is saying is, we don't have to let the world pull us down. You know why? Because Christ has set us free from the things of this world. You see, in a game of tug of war, if you've got five people on one side and one person on the other, the five people have more power, right? That is until the one person lets go of the rope. And then when the one person lets go of the rope, he or she has all the power, right? And you might say, well, but then you lose the game. But here's the thing. We're not playing the same game that the world's playing. This world is holding on to possessions and stuff and money and wealth and status and popularity and prestige and politics and you name it. And they think those things are going to bring them satisfaction and contentment in life. And Jesus is saying, Peter is teaching us, let go of those things because you can live free in him. And that's why Peter says, live as people who are free. Free from the desires of this world. Free from what everybody else chases after. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And I wonder if that's how you're living today. Because I believe that God is giving the church at this period, in this period of history an opportunity to show people what real freedom in Christ looks like. Maybe an opportunity like we've never experienced in our lifetimes. See, Peter writes in 1 Peter 4.19, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Why do we continue to do good in a world that's often bad? Why do we continue to do good in a world that's trending in the opposite direction of God? Because that's what the world needs right now. You see, what the world needs 
is not more Christian-ish people. What the world needs are people who are willing to double down on Jesus and say, I'm going to live by faith in him no matter what. Because we know what real hope is. And I believe it's time that we show people that hope, that we show people that freedom that we have in Christ, maybe like we never have before. Because here's the thing. We're not defeated, and we need to stop living like it. I know the past 18 months or so have been tough. I know that we've been through a period of uncertainty. I get that. But guys, no matter what goes on in this world, we as the church, we are not underdogs. You know why? Because the God of this universe is on our side. Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. We are not underdogs because the God who spoke everything into existence is with us, he loves us, and he is on our side. And therefore, we need to stop living like we're underdogs. We need to stop living like we're defeated. We are not victims. We are victors, and we need to show the world what true victory looks like in Jesus Christ. That's why we're here, and that's what the world needs now more than ever. So don't hide your faith. Don't blend in. Don't get caught up in the cultural current. Don't go with the flow. Live for Jesus in such a way that your light shines in the midst of the darkness because the world doesn't need more Christianish people right now. The world needs people who are willing to double down on Jesus, who put all their weight on him and show, show everyone who he really is. And so right now, if you're carrying a lot of weight, if you're going through some trials, you're experiencing a whole lot of trouble, you know what Peter tells us to do? Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And today, no matter what you're experiencing, when you put your weight on him, he'll allow for you to take the next step. And whether you have two days left on this earth 20 years, 50 years, 80 years. You have more life ahead of you than behind you. Let's live for the life that Jesus wants to give us. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this opportunity we had to open up your word and study it and this powerful reminder that we get from the book of 1 Peter. May we be a people who live victoriously through the name of your Son, in the name of your Son. Father, may we not live defeated lives. May we not live like underdogs. But may we live as your children who know that we have more life ahead of us than behind us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.